So we have journeyed a little bit into this next part of the Sermon on the Mount over the last few weeks, and here we find ourselves at a topic that everyone loves to think about, the topic of anger. Anger is always a fun thing to think about, right? Now, no, sometimes it actually is, right? We feel like we can, we, we, we're angry and it feels kind of good to be angry. Um, and we think, well, you know, maybe anger isn't so bad. At least my anger isn't so bad. <laughs> Everybody else's anger stinks, but my anger is pretty good anger. Uh, is that really the case? Jesus is going to challenge us to think about what do we do when we feel angry? What is it that l- a pleasing life looks like when we face circumstances that aren't how they're supposed to be, that we feel like we're wronged, or we feel like we're annoyed. What does it look like? <laughs> this is a hard, hard topic. So as we, we, we enter into it tonight, let's go ahead and come before our God in prayer and ask him to guide us because uh, it's really easy to see that anger out there, but it's really hard to see the anger within and to... to feel God's word critique that. So let's come before our Lord and ask for his guidance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for how you guide us. Lord, would you help us to to see those places where we are angry? Lord, would you also help us to see those places where um, we we have... caused other people harm. We're good at seeing how we've been harmed, but would you help us to see how other people have been harmed and to seek to be people who reconcile and make things right. Lord, we ask this in the precious name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So now this is an image that Jesus uses elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, but I, I, I found myself thinking about it this week. Uh, maybe because the weather's getting a little cooler. We had some cool days here, and so it's almost time for sweaters. And I, I like sweaters during the cooler times of the year, um, but I don't like sweaters that are chewed up by moths. And I remember last year I got one of my, my favorite sweaters out, this green sweater. I've had it for years, and I went to put it on, and I noticed there was a giant hole right about here. And I thought, I don't remember that hole there. And then I, I, I started looking around, I turned it around, and uh, what, well, wait a second here, there were holes all over the place. And the sweater looked pretty good uh, when it was just sitting there. But when you actually put it on, you could see, I could see my white t-shirt underneath it very clearly because these holes, once you know, the sweater was stretched out and on, y- the, the moths had been taking away from that sweater. It wasn't the good thing that it had been. And unless, I don't know if it's even possible if you were really amazingly good at, at working with wool, if somehow you could, you could fix it. But, but certainly, as it stands, and as far as I stand towards that sweater, that sweater is no longer useful because it has these giant holes in it. Now, when we think about anger, we often think about it as a useful thing. I am going to set things right. What we don't see is how it's poking holes in things. Our anger is like a bunch of moths. 
And if you have any kind of clothing that, that uh, moths would enjoy eating, would you ever go and get a whole bunch of, of the sorts of moths? I understand there's several varieties that like to eat fabrics. Would you ever go get a whole, like a bucket of them, if you could go buy them and, and take them over to your closet and just open it up and let them start chewing away at things? Well, maybe you would if you wanted to buy all new clothes. Ah, now I have an excuse. But, but generally speaking, we wouldn't do that, right? Because it would, it's destructive. And yet it wouldn't look destructive at first. You see a little moth flutter here, lo- moth flutter there. Oh, look at that cute little moth. You, you wouldn't be thinking, oh, there go all my clothes. And yet it starts to destroy. It starts to eat away. And that's how, how anger works in our lives. Anger eats at us and eats at others, destroying rather than preserving. It feels like it's, it's a preservative. We think about that salt that we talked about a few weeks ago, and we think, well, my anger is salt to the world. It, it's purifying. It's getting rid of all the dirt in the world. I'm going to make everything good. But more often than not, our anger isn't actually making things good. It's eating up things. Anger, as we do it most often in, in our sinful human lives, is something that erodes away at our lives and the lives of others. And that's what we see here as Jesus calls to us to think about anger. Take a look at verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's a little tougher than just prohibiting murder, isn't it? Why does Jesus group anger and insults with murder? seems like one is clearly far worse than the others. Can you imagine if we locked up everyone who ever insults someone and, and gave them the same kind of sentence that we give a murderer? There wouldn't be anyone left on the streets. They'd just be empty. Ah, all, all, the, all those crazy people, they'd all be locked away. This is great, right? <laughs> Until we start to think about it for a second. The very phrasing that Jesus uses, uses here to talk about the judgment that will come for murder, he uses the exact same phrase to talk about anger. What's he trying to do there? Jesus, you, can't, you surely can't mean that we're going to bring capital punishment to those who, who get angry. Can you? But as we're going to see over the next few weeks, and, and Jim's going to be drawing into, the, us, into this more as he takes us into next week's message. Um, as, as we look at these things, what do we see very clearly? As Jesus goes through parts of the Old Testament law and says, let's think about how we need to expand these. Let's think about how much it demands. Is he missing the point? Is he, is he tying something like that requires capital punishment into something that doesn't and he's not making sense? No, he, he's making perfect sense because what do we know about sin? What does he want those who hear him preaching to understand about sin? He wants them to understand, he wants us to understand that Insulting someone in God's eyes is worthy of death. Being angry at someone is worthy of death. It's not just murder. Murder, yes, is worthy of of capital punishment, but so is the least sin. 
And if we want to get into trying to, to, to measure out what sin is least and most and all that kind of stuff, it's going to be a fruitless exercise. But one thing that we'll realize is that actually anger is not anywhere near the least of sins. Insulting people isn't anywhere near the, the least of sins because it's still aimed at a person's destruction. Maybe not at the same level. You know, we're not, uh, it, when, I, when I get angry, I'm not thinking, you know, I want to take that person's life. Hopefully that's usually not where we go when we're angry, but we're still seeking in some way to erode away something about that person and that person's dignity and, and who that person is. Jesus wants us to, say, to understand that when we start to chip away at someone that God has made, even if it's not going all the way to trying to take that person's life, in some sense we are. And so the judgment remains. And it doesn't matter if we, we couch it in language that sounds good. For example, in the ESV, the, the, we have the phrase, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And your Bible may translate it differently. But that you fool phrase, I think it's very good because what does it, say, what does it remind us of? What would it have reminded in the original Greek or Jesus probably was preaching in Aramaic uh, at the actual Sermon on the Mount? What would the people have heard when he, he said this phrase, you fool? He would have been reminding them of a biblical fool. And if you think back into the Old Testament, what's a biblical fool? A biblical fool is, the, this, we're told in the Psalms, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So in other words, someone who has the wrong theology, has, has a denial about who God is, doesn't want to respect God. And so sometimes when we become angry, we might not use the word fool, but how often do we look at people and we come up with some sanctified phrase, some churchy phrase, some phrase that sounds very holy, to put them down and make sure that we make it very clear that we're holy, we're good, and they're not. And I think Jesus has in mind here something about that. Because there was an awful lot of that going on then, because if you have human beings seeking to follow God, what are you going to find? You're going to find that we're going to want to think that we're better than the others, and then use the very holy word of God to put other people down. We'll take the Bible and we'll say, well, you fool, you don't get this. I'll tell you, if you want to see examples of this, go on, on Christian Twitter. And then get away from there really quickly. And, and isn't that sad? Isn't, think about this for a second. If you go on to social media and look at, at Christians talking about theology, for example, it is incredibly heartbreaking. Anger's contagious, and that's something, too. If you think about it, what happens if you have a really happy set of moths living in your, in your closet, eating away at your clothes? Well, eventually you're going to have more and more moths because the moths are actually going to lay their eggs on your, sw your sweaters or other items that they're, they're, they're enjoying eating. And then the, the, when they hatch, they'll eat some more, and they can actually apparently burrow into the fibers and, and hide as they grow, and then they come back out and eat some more, and, and it grows. And suddenly you have more moths and more moths. What do we find with anger? Anger is just like that. Because I'll tell you, I, I, if I go on and I look at, say, Christians arguing over theology, oftentimes it does start to make me kind of angry. And it's, it's really easy to go and say, and sometimes correctly, 
these people are nuts. These people are mean. These people are this. And then I'm angry at them for that. And I'm angry for their anger. Now, people will say, but Jesus got angry. Jesus turned the tables in the temple. Jesus got passionate about things. So why are you saying that Christians shouldn't be arguing over things that really matter like theology? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about it, that we shouldn't be passionate about it. But we need to be careful. And the reason why Jesus is so strong on this is there's an awful lot of times that this has more to do with our own pride and our own status than it has to do with God. And we really, really need to check ourselves. When we're going to go and stand up and we're going to stand for God's honor, we need to make sure that we're standing for God's honor and not our own. And nine times out of ten, where our starting point is going to be, maybe ten times out of ten, where our starting point is going to be is our own position. doesn't mean there isn't a way to stand for things that are true. doesn't even mean that we shouldn't at times get passionate about things that are true. We shouldn't be upset when people harm the church. We shouldn't be upset when people harm the, the flock and, and they use the church in ways that God didn't intend. It doesn't mean that we should, be, we should uh, lose that, that love of truth and purity. But our anger goes wild. Like, like a child crawling across the room, which you may hear if you're online, you can't see it, but, but just like a child crawling across the room, it just takes off. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's at the other end of the hall, the anger, or the child, and thankfully the child's much happier because, I mean, that's a happy thing when we have children crawling around the church. They're bringing joy, but anger doesn't. Amen. It's interesting here, I think, to think about the distinction between murder and killing as we, we think about this. As we're trying to figure out, well, how, do I, how can I be passionate about what's righteous but not fall into what Jesus is talking about here? And, and sometimes in some translations, especially older translations, I believe actually, I want to say the King James translates it this way, although I'm not positive at the moment. Uh, the, the prohibition on murder is translated, thou shalt not kill. And we say, well, does that mean that there is never a time for justifiable killing? A soldier goes to war against a, a people that wants to enslave a nation. Uh, are they sinners for going and fighting in battle? Well, clearly that's not what Scripture has in mind. If there's a call for capital punishment and someone is put to death, is that a sin for the executioner? Well, the Bible actually authorizes capital punishment in certain cir- circumstances, so clearly not that. What we see very clearly in the better translation of that word murder in both the Old Testament and New Testament, well, that word that sometimes is translated kill, is murder. And we, we intuitively understand the difference. There, there's a difference between murdering someone and killing someone. And it has to do with motive. It has to do with one's position in relation. So, for example, someone who is doing all kinds of horrible things, if I'm just the average citizen and I decide to go and start shooting at the person, that's murder still because I'm not, I'm not in a place to be judge, jury, and executioner. That wouldn't be right. And, the, and one of the reasons we say that is because of the number of times it would go terribly wrong, the number of times someone would make a mistake and, and think someone was doing something horrible, but they weren't really, and then they're dead. And so we say, you can't do that. 
So position has something to do with it. Also intent. If the justice system goes through trying to be fair and equitable and provides all the opportunity to prove someone's guilt or innocence in a particular crime, and it comes to a conclusion, a right conclusion, based on evidence through the right process that the person should be brought to capital punishment, that's what the scriptures are talking about when it deals with capital punishment. And so when Jesus makes the comparison here with murder, he wants us to be thinking about the same thing with anger. And the problem that he knows about us is that we're going to jump right to the go and be the vigilante. We're going to jump right into, I think I see something really horrible and I'm going to make it right. I'm going to unleash my anger. I'm going to be just like Jesus and turn over those tables. But somehow it's a whole lot easier to be like Jesus and turn over tables than it is to be like Jesus and love people that don't love us. And Jesus wants us to do a whole lot more of that and a whole lot less of overturning tables because what he wants us to understand is, while, yes, at one point in his ministry, did he overturn tables? Absolutely. What was his whole ministry about? It's about reconciling sinners who deserve to have their entire lives taken away from them to himself and to restore them. So while we go to that example, we need to ask, are we actually doing what Jesus primarily did? Jesus wants us to be those who communicate God's love. It doesn't mean turning a, a, a blind eye to unrighteousness. It doesn't mean turning a blind eye to the bad theology that corrodes the scriptures. It doesn't mean any of those things. But it means taking great care and understanding what we're playing with. Anger corrodes. Anger destroys. He also wants us to understand something else. You see, the Father has righteous anger. Jesus, Son of God, has righteous anger. And he will come again and he will judge. And when we feed that anger and we're feeding that fire in us and we're going to just... <sighs> right? Go all Hulk on people. Jesus wants us to, to think, am I really wanting to present that to the Father? Is that what I want the judge to see of me? Because unlike our anger, his is righteous and pure. We need to make sure that we're not thinking we're getting away with it. That, that as we're, we're finding ourselves angry, that we think we've covered ourselves up enough that no one will notice and that most of all, God won't notice. Maybe he'll even say, oh, you know, yeah, they, yeah angry, that wasn't so good, but eh, doesn't really matter. I read about a, a burglar who was not very successful, as it turns out. He, he was in London. He was going around, going into different apartments and, and stealing things. And, and he had knit himself a ski mask, a custom ski mask, to cover his face so people couldn't identify him. So he, had, he thought he had this cover. It was going to keep people from finding him and turning him in, right? This was the thing that was going to make his thievery successful. Now, I don't know what possessed him to do this, if he was hot while he was in the middle of stealing stuff from someone's apartment or what, but he pulled off that ski mask and set it down, and then he left with the loot but forgot to take his ski mask. He thought he had this thing that was supposed to provide cover to him, but it actually turned out to be the opposite because when the police came, they found the ski mask and they tested it and found his DNA on the ski mask, 
And I guess he'd already been in for a crime before. They had a, a sample of DNA from him, and they went and arrested him. And this thing that was supposed to provide him with cover actually was how he was caught. And so often our anger feels like a cover for all kinds of unrighteous things going on in our lives. And we have a veneer of righteous anger covering up all that unrighteous stuff boiling down in us. And we think, I'm going to get away with this. But what we don't realize is we, we take off that veneer at some point. We sit down and, and the, the police come and they check it and they find that, that it's us. But even worse for us, if we're going to live in that, is that it doesn't even take leaving the mask. God can look right through the mask. And he sees what's going on underneath. And it's not good. What is it that we think we can get away with? That's the problem with anger. It's the problem with so much sin. It's the problem with some of the, the sins that, that Jim will be addressing next week and we'll be talking about in the weeks to come. What can I get away with? When our question is, what won't people catch me doing rather than what is right, it's only a matter of time until we're caught. Maybe caught in this life. But really, does that even matter? It's not about being caught in this life. That People can, can look the other way. People can maybe get angry, bring their own unrighteous anger, whatever the case may be. But what really matters is that we're not going to get away with it with God. And so what we need to ask when we're feeling that anger boiling up in us and we're thinking, okay, I'm going to pour this out and the world is going to be better for my anger, we need to ask, if I quit putting on the righteous veneer, if I quit putting on the sanctified language, the holy-sounding language over my anger, and I just said, this is what I'm feeling and I'm going to do this, I'm going to level with this person and make sure they know how bad they are, and I really put it out there in a raw form, would it feel right to do any longer? The answer is no. And the fact that we put some holy language on it and make it sound like we're being all good and holy doesn't make it any better. Right. And as we, we fall in that trap and we think, I'm getting away with it, I'm getting away with it, this is going so well, the anger is breaking down relationships. Yep. And that's where Jesus wants to take us next. It, it almost feels like two different things that are going on here, but, but they tie in very, very importantly together. And as we turn to verses 23 to 26, Jesus wants us to understand not only is anger to be avoided, but restoration from those breaks in human relationships are an actual act of worship. And let's go ahead and take a look here. Verse 23, Jesus says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accusers while you are going with him to court, your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. What does that have to do with anger? Sounds like there's all kinds of other things going on. There's something about debt and being drugged off to, to prison. There's, there, there's reconciling with someone who, who has something against you. What does that have to do with anger? Wait, we were talking about what people have done to me. Why, why, why does God want me to think about what, why people might be upset at me? I, I need to get out first what people have done to me. Come on here, let's focus. Urgh, I'm getting angry. 
right? Yeah. But one of the steps that Jesus provides to help us to, to step away from the anger that we feel is to start thinking about what we've done to other people. How much harder is it to become angry when we realize what we've done to hurt other people? Or we've messed up. Start to look at our, our own hearts and, and our own places where we fail, and we realize there's an awful lot of places. Big things, little things, in between things. It's sort of funny, uh, this, is, this wasn't in the notes because it just happened, but um, you, you think about our services here and try to get everything right, and poor Jim, just a little while ago, I, I put down that he was supposed to come up, and then I, I, I didn't change the notes, and so I have him up there, and, and, and so I think about that, and I, feel, I start to think, boy, you know, I start to think about those things, drives me nuts, but that's really easy. You start to forget it. I start to forget it, and I start to think, well, why is everyone messing up? And then, you, then something like that happens, and I sort of, oh, okay, yeah, because I, I mess up an awful lot. We're looking at our own failures. Sure, it's a whole lot easier to become angry when, when I'm getting everything right. Everyone else is just bumbling along. What happens when I realize that I'm the one that's bumbling along? And maybe even we think, well, but I haven't bumbled along with this person, and this person's just, this person's a jerk. What's wrong with this person? Have we bumbled along with God? I think the answer is yes. He wants us to understand that as those who are bumbling, we should be thinking about how we bumbled into other people, hurt other people, before we're thinking about what other people have done to us. Anger is far more uncontrolled when I'm feeling self-righteous. The repeating theme we keep coming back to in, in this series. But it's so important that we as Christians not be self-righteous. The world thinks of us as a self-righteous people. Mm -hmm. Ask people about the church and you're ready to hear about how we're hypocrites, how we're always looking down on other people. Maybe we instead be those who are the chief confessors. I'm not saying in, in some way that feeds a tabloid desire that we, we turn into the national inquirer of, of church or or what, what have you. I mean, inquiring minds do want to know. So if we start doing that stuff, people will listen. But, that, you know, we don't have to make it crazy. We just have to actually be humble. It's not easy to do. I've told this story way too many times, but it always comes in, in these points. I, I think of Benjamin Franklin in his autobiography talking about instilling virtue. And someone told him that he should work on the, the virtue of humility. He said he became quite proud of his, his facade of humility that he had created and then realized he hadn't actually become humble at all. And I think he pretty much gave up on it. He realized he wasn't going to get there. He wasn't a believer. He, didn't, he wasn't turning to the cross, and in his own ability, he wasn't getting to humility, and we won't get there in our own ability either. Now, the step goes further than just recognizing, though, that we shouldn't be self-righteous. If we realize that anger is destructive, if we realize that anger is eating away at us, here's something else 
that we need to do. We need to help other people get out of the place of anger in their lives. What's that look like? Well, when you see someone angry, you say, hold on here, you just need to calm down, right? That, that, that always helps, right? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> well, no, no, it usually doesn't, right? That's a good way to provoke people to more anger. <laughs> Here's what we need to do. Here is what Jesus says we need to do here. We need to actually look in our own lives, look at the places we've brought anger into other people's hearts where we've wronged other people. We need to see it as so important that we fix that that we'll do whatever it takes to do our part to fix it. Now, I don't believe Jesus is saying if you can't reconcile with someone, if you've hurt someone and they refuse to take your efforts to make things right, that, that you just, you know, you self-exile yourself from the church and say, I'm no longer worthy to be anything to do with the church and I'm horrible and, and just leave and, and go spend the rest of your life in solitude or something. It's not that. We need to actually make a good faith effort. And a good faith effort looks like something that actually brings harm to ourselves. Here, one of the challenges that we can run into here is that our good faith effort is what makes us feel good. I'm going to go and I'm going to apologize in such a way that everyone's going to say, isn't he nice? Isn't he humble? And so it's, it's right back to the self-righteousness and pride because I'm trying to build myself up. But what should we do? We should actually inconvenience ourselves, inconvenience the appearance of holiness in our lives for the actual holiness of caring enough about those around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're going to go and try to make things right. And Jesus uses a really, really bold example when you think about it, because what does he say that we should do? Well, he says that it even will affect how we approach giving God gifts. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before you, the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Notice here that we've started with anger and being angry at people. And now we've moved to being concerned with what we've done to other people. And then we've gone a step further and, and Jesus has said, if you're doing the things that you're supposed to do as the people of God, if you're at the altar offering a sacrifice before the living God of the universe and you realize for a second, wait, I've harmed someone else and that person has something against me. And actually, he doesn't even qualify that much. He only says, you realize that some, your, your brother has something against you. Some person has, has something against you. He doesn't even say, and you... Are, are being justly accused of that thing because you were horrible and you did it. He just says, you realize someone has something against you. What should you do? You should go leave the gift at the altar and be reconciled. When you're worshiping God and you realize you've actually hurt another person that God has made, you should see mending that as even more important than offering that formal religious gift because Indeed, what God wants us to do, what are the two greatest commandments? Loving God and loving our neighbor. So how do we do it? Well, it often starts with the very uncomfortable thing of going to our neighbor, going to our brother and sister in Christ, going to our, our non-Christian neighbor that has been hurt by us, and making sure that if they have something against us, that we do what we can to make it right. Then come back and give. We should never let 
our religious duty give us a permission slip to, to allow people to be hurt by us? That's why it's so awful when people say, well, yeah, the, this church or that church, there's some big scandal. Yeah, it hurt some people, but look at all the good it did. In the Old Testament, we need to understand how important it was to do these sacrifices and how structured it was. It was way more structured than we often do services today. And Jesus is saying, stop it. Stop that, that gift and go and be reconciled. How much more should we as Christians do that? Because as we looked at earlier, think about the ministry of Jesus. What was it? What is it? It's a ministry of reconciliation. It's a ministry in which Jesus reconciles us to his Father, even though we've done far worse things to him than anyone will ever do to us. If we're actually going to go into the world and say, we're the kingdom now, we're here as the church, how can we not be a people of reconciliation, a people that desire to break down that, that broken relationship with other people? Now, Jesus does mention some practical matters here. He says, come quickly to terms, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And we look at that, that practical advice and we say, well, I thought this was about our hearts and I, I thought this was about reconciling with people on things that maybe I've done wrong or said wrong or, or hurtful things, insults I've said, um, ways I've taken advantage of people. And now you're talking about being drug off to prison for debts. What? Where's Jesus going? And, and in a sense, he wants us to, to think about this shrewd piece of advice and then think about how much more it applies to, to other things. Is it generally a good idea if someone, say, puts a lawsuit against you to see if you can settle out of court? Most lawyers would tell you yes. In most cases, right? It's better not to spend years litigating because even if you have the right side on the matter, you might, might not get away with, you might, excuse me, not, you're not getting away with it if you're the right side, but you, you may end up be having the judgment come against you. You get thrown in jail. If you can settle out of court, I mean, that's often considered shrewd. And certainly if, if someone says, wait, you owe me money, it would be better to settle before they drag you into court to try to force you to pay the bill. And how much more so in a culture like most cultures were until very recently where you could actually be imprisoned for being in debt. It'd be way better to settle. But this jarring switch here, I, I think, is meant to convey something that Jesus wants us to hear, which is that the judgment that we actually should be most aware of isn't the judgment of a, a, of a, a debtor's uh, court. It's not the judgment of other people. It's the judgment of a righteous God. And if we are most concerned with what he's thinking, what he's concerned about, Am I allowing anger to fester in me? Am I allowing hurts in other people to, to fester in them because I'm not thinking enough about the one that I'm ultimately going to come before? Notice that very last bit that he says there in verse 26. He says, you will never get out until you have paid every last penny. Now, pennies aren't worth very much today. I, I don't know, maybe someday no one will even bother to pick them up. Do people still pick them up? I, I guess so, but... Um, you know, they're, they're worth less and less and less. The, the, the coin being referred to here was the coin that was the second least valuable mm. Roman coin. A and that coin was about 164th of a day's wage. 
So if you divide whatever you, you make on, a, on an average day in income, and you divide that by 164th, that little bitty bit there, Jesus is saying, if you have done that much wrong, a tiny little bit, if you've done the least, if you owe the least amount, you're not going to get out of prison. Now, how does that tie into anger? We allow the least little bit of anger, unrighteous anger, to boil up in us. When we come before God, it doesn't matter that it was just a little anger. It doesn't matter that we weren't murder. We only, in our, in our minds, thought angry thoughts at people. Even the least little bit is worthy of a permanent prison sentence, permanent separation from God. So what should we do? We should come before the judge. We should confess these things, and then we should live as he calls us to, to live as people who reconcile. Now here's the challenge in that. We're going to leave this little space. We're going to go home tonight. And you know what's going to happen when we go home tonight? We're going to be on the roads. Jim and I were just talking the other day about, about the, the challenges of being on the road. Oh. And, and, here, and we were sharing about, about being on roads. And one of the things that I know is one of my least favorite things to do is to end up behind a school bus. And, and this came up in our conversation because I was talking to Jim while he was behind a school bus, and he mentioned that he was behind the school bus. And I, I thought about when I'll be cutting back from, from church here, and I'll, during the week, of course, you don't have school buses on Sunday nights, but if you go through this one neighborhood I often go through, you can very frequently end up behind a school bus, and it's a very long neighborhood, and you, you stop, and you stop, and you stop, and the first stop isn't so bad, the second stop isn't so bad. Then you start to think, what's wrong with these lazy kids? Why can't they walk a little farther? Why are they stopping? Why? I'm never getting anywhere. You start to feel it kind of boil up. Here's the challenge. When we drive and people are annoying us, when we drive and people are driving too slow, when, people, when we drive and people are driving too fast, when we, when we drive and we're behind a school bus, when we go to work and there's the coworker that doesn't do enough, when there's a coworker that always seems to do too much and make us look bad, when you go to school and, and, and there's the other student that's always got the answer and the teacher's praising that student and you're thinking, why does that student have to always act so smart? Or when you, you finally, you study and you finally know the answer and someone else gets called on. When we have these opportunities and we feel anger, just that little bit of anger, Jesus says, is too corrosive. We're called to be people who, who build people up who build up this world to show a kingdom that reconciles people with a God who, who has reconciled us even though we don't deserve it. And yet too often we let out those anger moths to just chew away, chew away at ourselves and chew away at other people. Jesus calls us not to be those who unleash anger moths. He calls us to be those who help knit up the holes that we've left. To be God's reconciling hands in this world because as we show that we are willing to do that even when it doesn't make sense even when other people in our minds clearly don't deserve it what do they start to see in us start to they start to see that we're people who don't deserve the reconciliation the forgiveness that god has given us god will use that to turn hearts towards him
May that be all of us today. Join me in prayer. Father, too often we, we unleash the anger moths. We, we want to just chew away at people for the, the things that they've done against us, and yet uh, it's so easy, I know, for me to not see the things I've done against other people. Lord, would you help us to confess those things, to place them before you. And then not to just place it before you and then move on, but to actually care about the harm that we've done to other people and seek to bring restoration. May we be those who think very little of our own reputations, our own, our own righteousness in the sense of building ourselves up in the way people see us, in that self-righteous sense. And care far more about what you see in the people that you have made that are all around us. Would you help us to be a people of reconciliation? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.